Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. How's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn with Go Long at golongtd.com. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We have a riot. Uh, we'll definitely be getting back to our regular scheduled programming with Jim Monas, Doug Whaley, guests. For this episode, though, I thought we would just share a conversation that I had with DJ Reed, the Seattle Seahawks cornerback that we wrote about about a week and a half ago at Go Long, the Go Long newsletter. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Just what he's been through from Fresno to Juco to Kansas State to see San Francisco to Seattle. It's it's really remarkable. I mean, he's been he's been counted out time and time again. And uh, if you caught the story, you learned he had a cockroach problem at his house in junior college. Just uh, grimy, grimy conditions that he lived in at one point. Uh, once in a while, I just think it's good for for us to kind of include these conversations in the podcast format. I know not everybody has the time to to read. We'd love it if you subscribe to Go Long and made that a part of uh, your morning routine. You can do that anytime at golongtd.com, seven a month, 70 a year. Uh, but here and there, we'll definitely include these conversations and, and, and the podcast format. So hope you enjoy it. And as always, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Ty Dunn, D-U-N-N-E, or email golongtd at gmail.com. And would love to have you join our community. We've got happy hours rolling every Friday night for subscribers. Um, Olin Krutz was awesome this past Friday. And we have Frank Winters, the former Packers center, coming on this Friday night. So subscribe, introduce yourself. It's a real community. It's a lot of fun. And we will be having a subscriber-only event at Hamburg Brewing Company in Western New York soon. Our good pal Doug Whaley will be making the chip up from Pittsburgh. So um, if you subscribe, we hope, we hope to see you there as well. All righty. Here is DJ Reed. Thank you, everyone. Oh, man, DJ, I, I don't know where you want to start, but like, you know, You've been counted out, obviously, every step of the way. When did that really start for you? How far back do you really want to take this? I mean, it really started after high school, just with walking on to Fresno State and kind of, you know, you know, being, you know, pretty much mistreated, you know, working your tail off and obviously not getting the recognition. Um, you know, I got a spring evaluation from my head coach at the time and my DB coach, and they basically told me that they didn't see me contributing on defense and that I would probably get a scholarship my senior year. So, you know, that was clear for me to, you know, get up out of there because I obviously wanted to get a scholarship so my mom wouldn't be able to pay for me. And then also I wanted to play um, on defense. So that was a humbling experience, but it definitely, you know, made me stronger mentally. And I, my approach to the game, you know, significantly improved because of that experience. I mean, this is right in your backyard pretty much, right? I mean, you grew up yeah. in Fresno. Yeah, two hours away from the crib, Bakersfield. <laughs> so they know you, they should know you, and what how you're wired, 
you know, better than anybody. I mean, they, they were probably recruiting you for, for a while there. I mean, you started in high school. Yeah, I played, you know, great in high school. I played football and basketball and played both at a high level, but I walked on to Fresno State. So that process itself was crazy. Me and my older brother literally drove up to Fresno, gave them my highlight, and they basically said, we like you. Um, if you get a call from us, that means that you'll get a walk-on spot. If not, then you won't. So we waited for about two weeks, and they actually called, and they offered me a walk-on spot, so I took it. Did you have any other options at that point right out of high school? Yeah, I had some small schools, um, like Cal Lutheran, like D3 schools that wanted me to play. Obviously, it was no scholarship. It was just like more so academic scholarships. Um, I had Cal Poly, but um, they didn't offer me because my SAT score wasn't high enough. So I, that didn't work. So that was pretty much the best decision for me, I thought, coming out of high school um, or JUCO. But in high school, I was sort of anti-JUCO. I didn't want to go JUCO in high school. It's yeah, well, first of all, the SAT sucks. I mean, I don't, I know, you know, super smart people that took it and hated it and didn't do well. Yeah. Like, I mean, Isaiah McKenzie, he actually just signed with the Bills today. I did a story on him um, back before the AFC Championship game, and he literally scored in the the bottom percentile, like the the absolute like negative. I think it was actually negative one percentile technically, and you know, here he is in the NFL making plays. So it's like whatever, but um. It's fascinating to me, like out of high school, how, I mean, the knock is your size, right? That you're too small. And mm -hmm. it, I don't know if it trickles down, but really it was kind of Seattle and their corners, you know, going with the long, lanky Richard Sherman type, Brandon Browner type corner that became all the rage and you, you need, you need a longer guy out there. So here you are like too small to get a D1 offer. And so you, you walk on a Fresno. It's crazy. Yeah, it, I mean, just looking back at everything, it is crazy because even like when I was getting ready for the draft and when I went to the combine, actually, I talked to the majority of the teams and the only two teams I didn't talk to were the Seahawks and the Chargers. And it was just their, you know, their idea of a corner was, you know, 6'3", 6'2", 6'3", you know, long arms. That's the corners that they had. And if you didn't meet those requirements, then they're not going to bother to talk to you despite the talent that you have. So to be playing, you know, corner, to be playing, to be starting at corner for the Seahawks at 5'9", it's like, it's, it's pretty kind of, it's kind of funny, like, to yeah. think about it. So, so man, not, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, like, you're at, so you're at Fresno, like, you you're, you're, are you showing them stuff in practice? Like, what made them think that you just weren't good enough? You're talking about at Fresno State? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I redshirted, so, you know, I'm going against, you know, the top guys. I was going against Harper, who at the time was their number one receiver. Um, I'm guarding these dudes at practice, making plays. Me and D'Angelo Ross, it's crazy because he was in the same situation as me. We both walked on. But when we were practicing, we were dominating that practice, one-on-one, seven-on-sevens. We're playing good football, but, you know, the politics of, of things, you know, guys that are on scholarship, you know, the coaches want them to play because they're going to school for free. So that's just what it, what happened. But, um, yeah, I ended up leaving going um, to JUCO. D'Angelo Ross did the same thing. He went to New Mexico. I went to Kansas State. And we're both five nine corners, and he plays on the Patriots right now. He plays nickel, and I play 
you know, obviously corner and nickel, but the guys that were starting ahead of us aren't in the league. So it's, it's kind of just, it's kind of crazy how everything works out. I, I would assume those coaches have been fired since then. Yeah, they, they're out of there. Yeah, they're not there anymore. Was it DeRuder? Was he the head coach? Yeah, DeRuder. I believe he's at Cal right now. Okay. Um, and I respect DeRuder because he actually, an interviewer told me when I was on the Niners that he actually apologized. Like, yeah, we, we messed up on, on DJ. Um, so I can respect him for acknowledging it and, you know, apologizing. So I thought that was pretty cool. But in, in that moment, so they, they literally sat down with you and just had that conversation that we don't think you can contribute on defense. And, and that's ever or just that year? Like, So, yeah. So basically how they do it is you do spring ball. So you do that. And then you get your, it's called spring evaluation. Everyone gets it. It's basically what the coaches see you doing this upcoming season. So I kind of didn't know what to expect. So I just heard them out. And they basically said, like, I remember, like, I remember it pretty vividly my my db coach basically said like you need to get faster you need to get stronger um your technique needs to improve um like you have to work a lot like you're short like which you have to you have to be just better than everyone which i understood that and he was just like honestly we don't see you playing corner here we see you just contributing on special teams and then that just rubbed me wrong i was just like okay I was like, I got to get out of here. Because if you don't see me as a corner and I see myself playing corner, then it's obviously we, we see, we're we seeing two different things. So, and this is coming from my redshirt year where I was just working my tail off. And I was just like, I'm not going to work my tail off and not even, you know, play. Like, that makes no sense. So, I left. And do, so you're not even on scholarship yet, too, at that point. I wasn't on scholarship. So you're not gonna, they're basically on. saying, we're not going to give you a scholarship. Yeah, he basically said if you because they knew the dilemma, they knew I, I needed a scholarship yeah. for financial reasons for my mom. They knew that they knew the situation. They were just like, yeah, you won't get a scholarship probably until like your senior year. And that's that's not even a given. You know, that's like if you do what you're supposed to do and they end up playing and earning, you know, your job on special teams. So it was just like I'm not a not trying to sound like confident or cocky or anything, but I was just like, I'm not even a walk on talent. Like I already knew what I was capable of. So I was like, let me just take the Juco route. Do you, do you push back in that moment? So when they're saying this to, to your face, like, do you, do you verbal, like, do you push back and say you, you are incorrect. You are wrong here. Yeah. So let me tell you. So I remember, I remember this conversation vividly. So once I got off the phone, well, not off the phone, once I got done with the conversation with meeting with the head coach, DeRuder, and Coach Woodson, this is something I've already been praying about months prior, and that just confirmed it for me. So I called my mom, and I let my mom know, like, Mom, I'm done here. I'm going to go to JUCO. I'll figure which JUCO I'm going to, but I'm, I can't be here anymore. And then I told my strength coach, because I had a lot of respect for my strength coach, and he had a lot of respect for me for the way that I worked. His name was Bose, and I believe he's on the Bengals right now. He's the strength coach for the Bengals. Um, I told him I still did the lift the next day. I lifted that next morning. So just because I just wanted to lift that next morning. And then out of respect, I told him, like, I won't be here anymore. And he was, like, mad about it. He was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. Me and the coaches don't see eye to eye, and I'm walking on. Oh, I'm going to just end up going. I'm going to go to JUCO. And he was, like, he respected it. And then I remember 
Bose told, I didn't even tell my, uh, my position coach. We didn't see how to, I didn't, yeah, I didn't tell him. So he called me. He was like, why are you leaving? And I was like, bro, I was like, y'all just gave me my spring evaluation. I was like, I see myself playing corner. And he was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back home? I was like, no, I'm going to go Juco. And then I'll never forget this. He was like, if you go Juco, would you be happy with going to a D2? And I was like, D2? I was like, nah, I'm going to go back to D1. He was like, all right, that doesn't happen. That normally doesn't happen. So, like, I always had that in the back of my mind. Like, when I went to Cerritos Community College, I really, like, that's where I really separated myself. I pretty much got off of social media. I just really took that time to get right. I was drinking, you know, I had a gallon of water on me every day, walking around campus with a gallon of water. Um, I was stretching every night. I was stretching every morning. I was just doing little stuff that I normally didn't do. Um, and my play showed when I when I played. And then by the grace of God, I ended up getting a scholarship offered to Kansas State. And then from then, everything took off. That, that's incredible. So like that, on that phone conversation, he, he's just, he, he's telling you, you're not, you're, it ain't, ain't going to How do you believe in yourself then when, when he's telling you that you're not good enough to go D1? that D2 was your ceiling? I mean, for me, bro, honestly, like, opinions don't matter to me. And I'm honestly fueled by people telling me what I can't do. Like, that actually gives me more energy and more fuel to do what I want to do ultimately. Like, my ultimate goals, like, when I'm tired, I think about that, and it takes me to a whole nother level of dominance. Like, I mean, it really motivates me. Like, if I would have listened to him, I wouldn't be in this situation, obviously. I probably wouldn't be in the NFL. I'd probably be working or, like, back home in Bakersfield. So, like, I don't really care about the opinions of others. But when someone says that I can't do something, I actually do care. So it's kind of like a, I don't care about what you say. I know it's not true. But I'm going to use that for motivation to, positive, to positively, like, feel me. And you talk about you know, carry on a jug, of, a jug of water. Like what, what's life like at, at Juco when you know, in your head, like I've got to make it, you know, I've, I've got, this is my <laughs> yeah. one shot. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Like everyone reacts to adversity in a different way. But for me, it's just like, I always had that. I don't have anything to lose mentality. Like the worst case scenario is I go back home and that's just like, I mean, I really wasn't supposed to mount anything. Like, all my brothers and my older brothers um, were in jail. Um, I was arrested in high school. My little brother was arrested in high school. So, like, nobody really expected much out of me. So my mindset has always been, like, what do I have to lose? And I think when you have someone with that mindset, they're really dangerous. Like, it's really dangerous if you – if you don't have anything to lose. So like, I literally just give it everything I got. And if, if I don't win or if I lose and it's like, Oh, well, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think that mindset has took me a long way. It's awesome, man. What, so what were you arrested for? If you, if you can say. Yeah. Fighting me and my brother got into a fight with these other kids and we <laughs> got arrested. So yeah, I was doing reckless stuff in high school. Oh, just like in, in public, just a big brawl. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was at a park and it was just like a brawl fight. But um, yeah, definitely learned from that situation. And I'm happy it happened when I was, you know, obviously under 18. Um, I got arrested at 16. So, I mean, 
that's something that I definitely, you know, learned from. I definitely learned from that experience and I haven't been in trouble since. So it's something that I needed to go through. And having older brothers in jail, I mean, that's a perspective I'd imagine too. I mean, gosh, what are they there for a while or? Yeah, my older brother, LJ, he was in jail for a while. Um, my other brother, he's just in and out of jail. But um, I mean, yeah, like once I got arrested, you know, a lot of people thought like, oh, well, there, there he goes, like another athlete, you know, getting in trouble. Like even when I came back to school, you know, teachers <laughs> were looking at me like completely different, um, even friends and family members. So it was some, it was very eye opening. And I think that was like an important part of my success story. Like I needed to go through that, too, to see how people turn, people change colors when, you know, certain situations happen. Right. So they're just saying you're going to end up like your older brothers at that point then. I mean, that's, yeah. you, you were kind of rewrote your own story. I mean, so at this Juco, you're living with, was it, is it true you're, AJ said you're living with like eight, eight guys, like just jammed into an apartment? Or eight something? to nine dudes. Yeah. In a, in a horrible living situation. <laughs> what, what's it like in there? How big of a place is this? Bro, it's probably, <laughs> it was probably like, I don't even know the square feet, but really small, probably like five, 600 square feet. Um, just a bad living situation. And I had no say about the living situation because I wasn't paying any rent. So I didn't, I couldn't say like, hey, you guys need to clean up your mess because I was laying my head in there for free. So I didn't really have a say. And I was just grateful to just, you know, have a place under my head to sleep. But um, yeah, I just remember sleeping on this crazy, horrible fruit time. And then switching, you know, in and out with other guys because they would want the fruit time. So I would sleep on the floor. Just humble. It was just humbling, bro. Um, it really made me, I was already hungry, but that really made me hungry. And I told myself, like, once I get back to the D1 level, I'm going to dominate. Yeah. Simply, like, the reasons being is, for one, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be grateful with the meal plan, like the food, because we weren't providing any food in JUCO. So I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to just be grateful for the free gear. I'm going to be grateful for just the opportunity to showcase my talent. So I was just like, once I get to the D1 level, I'm going to dominate. Like, I knew that was going to happen. So how do you get linked up? How do you even find housing, I guess, in, in a JUCO and get linked up with these guys just to be somewhere? Just talking to your teammates. Um, like, when I first got there, I didn't know where I was going to stay at. Like, my mom didn't have money to just give me, like, hey, here's rent. Like it, it, it didn't work like that. Like it was just kind of like getting where you fit in. So really I was just talking to guys. I met one of my best friends. I actually met both my best friends in Juco. Um, one of my friends' names was Brendan Ezell. And um, from time to time I would go over his house to like wash my clothes. Um, and then I stayed with my, my best friend, Elijah Walker. He was actually living at the spot that I was living at. And we just formed a, a great relationship going through that struggle together. So it's just like, man, can I can I sleep on a floor? <laughs> I just need a place here. Yeah, they were all cool with it because they knew like the situation. Like I didn't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah. So yeah. That's that's incredible though. So this whole time you're I mean, it, it's going to be a motivating factor, like to to, to somehow get out of this I mean you're, you're going to football practice in a, a different mindset you're going to every game in a different mindset what just clicked there how did you morph yourself into somebody that Kansas State wanted yeah well I mean 
I had to first stack up on a lot of classes because I had to get my A, a degree. So um, her name was uh, Miss Thigpen, Joyce Thigpen. She's a big part of my success because she was my like personal counselor. I didn't have the, the football team's counselor because they wanted me to take classes. They didn't know I was going to be able to pass six classes to keep it real. They wanted me to take like just like four classes. But to do that, I would have to stay at my JUCO for two years. And I wanted to be there just for one year to get my AA degree. So Miss Thigpen put me in the right classes. It was a lot. It was a lot on me. It was six classes. But I ended up passing those classes. And then, you know, football is going to take care of itself. I just needed to. The biggest thing in JUCO for me was I was always telling myself, stay healthy. Like, you cannot get a serious injury because if you do that, your career is over. Nobody's going to take you if you get injured. And the, also another thing in the back of my head was make a great highlight film. Like, show your explosiveness, show your versatility. I was returning kicks as well. It was just like, just showcase your talent and make the highlight short, but make, make it very enjoyable for the scouts. So that's what I did. That's a good point because if you can give them something condensed in a couple minutes, like, hey, take a look at this. Let's let's give this guy a shot, and you pulled it off. Uh, do you remember yeah. what any of those classes were that you took that you had to to pass? I took statistics. My teacher was horrible, bro. He his the passing rate for that class was very low, and I just remember like that was like the class I was sweating about. Like, yeah. I gotta pass this class. Um, Everything else wasn't really hard. My major, my major in college was history. So I took um, African-American history. Um, my teacher name was Julie Davis. She was a great teacher. I learned so much in that class. Um, I really enjoyed that class. Um, every, everything else was like, okay. So you like history? Is that like- I love history. Years? Like what do you like specifically with just history? Yeah. I mean, honestly, obviously like African-American history. Yeah. Um, just the stuff uh, we were talking about from past to present. Um, it didn't just start off, you know, coming from Africa to come to the, you know, America. Um, it goes deeper than that. Um, and then just talking about uh, the Trayvon Martin case and how it went down, um, talking about Zimmerman, just talking about like recent cases, um, obviously talking about the civil rights movement, et cetera, et cetera. That was just very interesting to me because there was things that she told me that I didn't know or wasn't taught in school, like from grade school, even in high school. And um, I also, I love European history, um, like the Renaissance. I think that's like the rebirth. I think that's like very cool, very interesting. Um, I love art. I think that's like pretty cool. Um, just like learning about like Christianity, um, Martin Luther, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Calvinism, like stuff like that interests me. Oh man, well, don't don't tell my parents, but I, I I was a history minor and I I couldn't tell you any specifics at all that I've learned in my class. Oh no, it's good, bro. It's just <laughs> that's just what interests me. Like, I don't yeah. know why. I liked it at the time, but it was more so in one year, pass the test, out the other. Yeah, I feel that. Um, so Kansas State, you take off. I mean, I don't know what you want to hit on there, but like obviously that's where you showed the NFL enough that hey, I'm I'm a draftable player even at five nine, right? So yeah. Yeah, so, like, when I first got there, I was just, like, first of all, I came there in the best shape that I've ever been in because on my visit, Dante Barnett, he, he played safety. He was just like, bro, we run a lot here. Like, it's really OD. 
because um, the guys weren't buff. Everybody was like slim. So I could tell they ran a lot. He was just like, bro, just make sure you come here in shape. So that's what I did. And then um, they have this thing called the shuttle and they base it on your 40 times. So for example, if you run a four three, you have to run the shuttle in 43 seconds. So like, bro, it's basically like a conditioning full sprint in a way. So usually when guys first come there and they do the shuttle, they get embarrassed. Like they ended up, they end up walking like, they just look sloppy because they're not used to that type of conditioning. But I actually finished it, and you and you have to do two of them. You have to meet that time requirement, and people usually get got on the second one. But I actually did it, and everybody was kind of surprised. So, like, my biggest thing was, you know, that first impression is important. Like, whether it's a job interview, you want to make a great first impression. And I felt like I did that um, with Coach Dawson, the strength coach. He was like, okay. And then obviously when we got to practice, I dominated because that was just my goals. I have to show them they weren't going to give me a starting job. I had to show them that I'm worth and that they could trust me um, to get the job done. So that's what I did. Well, yeah, that so that was kind of a breakthrough then that sh shuttle drill, showing them that you can handle it because there's got to be a moment where you bust through and, and as a transfer and say, hey, I am somebody that should be out there. Yeah, I was competing with a guy that was a uh, a grad transfer and honestly they were favoring him because he's had experience playing in the pac 12 and our coach you know he actually like wanted to play him but when we got in training camp i just made it so obvious that i was the best corner out there that they had to start me it's incredible and so then on, on to the nfl i mean san francisco drafts you but i mean they kind of gave up on you after a couple injuries didn't they well, yeah. Um, so when I first got there, Coach Halfley was there. Um, I believe he's the head coach at Boston College. And he loved me. Like, he wanted me to – he didn't see me as a corner because of the, the height requirement they have for corner. But he's, he, he knew that I was versatile. He knew I could play in the nickel. But he wanted me to play free safety as well just because he thought that I could range and play with the speed. But honestly – Playing free safety my first year in the league was like pretty head spinning because I'm just used to, you know, going on my side, strapping up, guarding the receivers. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm having to call out plays. I'm having to tell the corners, you know, what to do. And if, if it's a motion, I have to, you know, change the play. Um, I have to know if it's two by two for seam alert. If it's three by one, I have to know which seam I'm on. I have to, you know, change the play. Um, if it's empty, it was so much. I was just back there literally like thinking instead of just, oh, I know this and I'm playing. Yeah. So I felt like I took a step back. But when I look at it, though, it's a good experience because I know how to play free safety now as well. So if something was to happen in the secondary that I'm on, I would be able to play free safety now. And the game has now slowed down for me because this is my fourth year coming up. So. Yeah, heard that with Kyle Shanahan too. That he he has like restrictions on positions. I mean, not just corner, every, everything, height, weight. This is the body type we're looking at. And I guess he wasn't alone. Like, I mean, Seattle did did for a long time too. It's that's a tough thing to work against when you're trying to get into the NFL. It's like you kind of know, all right, I'm gonna have to prove wherever I go, I'm gonna have to prove somebody wrong. You know that I can play yeah. corner out on a boundary at this size. Yeah, I mean. That's just – it's really universal for the NFL. Like, they want yeah. taller guys out there on the outside. On the outside, but, you know, like, I did it in college. That's kind of where I, I was, like – it was kind of like a conflict. Like, 
I was strapping dudes up in college. Like I was an All-American at cornerback in college. And I was guarding six six foot plus guys every game in the Big 12. So like I'm grateful that I got this opportunity in Seattle to showcase my talents. Cause like I I already knew that I would be able to do that. But it's it's great to get the opportunity because a lot of guys don't get the opportunity. But like you look at, you know, the top corners, you know, obviously Jalen Ramsey, six, six foot plus, but you look at like Jair Alexander from the Packers, he's 5'10. You look at Jason Verrett, he's 5'10. You have Chris Harris, he's 5'9. You know, there's guys that are getting the job done. Um, Darius Williams from the the Rams is 5'9. He Kenny had a great he had a great season. Kenny Moore's in the slot. He plays outside yeah. in um base coverages. He's 5'9. So I mean, there's guys doing it. So I feel like it's I feel like this year was a good year to show like, hey, like if you could play, you could play. Gosh, I guess it was injuries too. I mean, the torn labrum and then a peck, right? That's kind of what yeah. They I had two, yeah, I had two injuries when I was in the Niners. Um, my rookie year, I actually tore my labrum and some of my rotator cuff against the Chiefs in Week Four, and I could have got surgery, but I was just like, I want to play just because I want to play in the league, and then on top of that, I wanted to, you know, obviously get my player performance. <laughs> I didn't want to just you know, missed the season. So I wanted to, you know, get paid. So, but now looking back on it, obviously like you got to be smart because you can't put bad stuff on tape. Like if I'm having to go out there and in my mind, I know my, you know, my labrum's torn, you're not going to be as aggressive. You're not going to be playing like how you play when you're healthy. And I had to learn too my rookie year that this is a business. Like this, this isn't college. Like, you know, in college they tell you, Oh, play with anything unless you can't run. Like, Nah, this is the NFL. Like these dudes run four threes. These dudes are explosive. Like you need to be healthy to be out there. So it was definitely a learning experience. I was gonna say, yeah, what's it really like then when you're going through something like that and you're experiencing it? It was horrible. I mean, I remember my rookie year. I remember not being able to sleep because my shoulder was in that much pain. I remember taking Toradols before every game just to numb it. Um, even at practice, I just remember just hurting. Like, you're always thinking about it for the whole season. Like, and that's – that was the toughest season I've had in my three years of playing so far. I mean, so the – I know back in the day, like, toward all, they'd give you a shot, right? Is it a pill now that you take or – Yeah, it's a pill. My rookie year, they were just giving it out. But now it's pretty strict protocols because of, like, liver failure, et cetera, et cetera. So now if you take a toward all, you have to have, a obviously, a reason for it. And then you have to sign a waiver of the risk of doing it. But my rookie year, they used to just give it out like candy. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't any protocols. But you needed it. Like you couldn't sleep. I needed it. Killing I you. needed it, bro. I needed it to get through the season. Because I mean, that's gonna wear off. Like it might get you through a game. Like when does it wear off? And it's oh, like- it wears off. Yeah. So in the game, it'll numb you. Obviously, the pill and adrenaline. But yeah, after like literally after the game, you go home. Like my labor on my shoulder was just throbbing, bro. And it's just like, damn, like back to square one. But at least I got through one more game. That's insane. <laughs> Is there a specific, would there be like a time where you're like looking at the clock or your phone? It's like, all right, it's such and such time. This shit's about bro, to hurt. Bro, we went four and 12. So I was, I'm not going to lie. I was ready for the season to be over. I was ready for the off season. I was ready to get surgery. Like I was just ready to 
to get this taken care of because it was just a, a menace. It was hurting, bro. Oh my God. Man, I don't I don't get it. Like, I don't know if to to numb it up for games while you're losing, while you're probably not yourself out there on the field. It's like I know you want to get get paid, but it's like shit, I don't know if that's worth it at that point. Yeah, looking back at it, I would have got surgery. Like yeah. just because that's the best. You have to do what's best for you, which is ultimately, if you think about it, best for the team. So yeah. then the, the pack happens and then they, they just gave up on you, right? I mean, the next year. I mean, yeah. So when I tore my pack, you know, I was kind of down because, you know, I'm a smart guy. I figured I'm not a starter. So, you know, tearing your pack is a six to 12 month recovery. So it was just like they could, I was thinking in my head, like they could end up releasing me because I'm not, I'm not an impact player on this team. Um, so, yeah, when I got the call, when I came to Lynch office, I already knew what time it was. I knew that, you know, they were going to release me. And he basically said, um, we're going to release you. Um, you have to clear waivers, which we think you will, because nobody's going to pick you up because you have a torn pectorium. And the earliest you'll be back is November. And we don't even know if you'll be healthy by that time. So he was like, this is something we have to do. He was like, we appreciate, you know, we drafted you. We think highly of you. We appreciate you. Um, you were a, a reason why we went to the Super Bowl last year, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, you know, it wasn't any hard feelings. I was just like, like it was just the reality. I was like, okay, I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I was released. And um, my agent basically said the same thing. Like, nobody's going to pick you up, most likely. Like, it's a high percent chance because you have a torn pick and the season about to start. So I was like, cool. So I was just thinking in my head, like, um, I'm gonna just get ready for next season. I'm gonna take my rehab slowly. I'm gonna spend time with my dog, spend time with my girl, my family. Like it is what it is. And literally the next morning, my agent calls me and was like, bro, you got interest from the Bills, Texans, and Seahawks. Um, he was like, they're thinking about um claiming you off waivers. And they were like, he asked me, Do you want to play this year? And I was like, Hell yeah, I want to play this year. And he was like, okay. He was like, just make sure you're close to your phone. And then by 12 o'clock PM, he called me and was just like, the um the Seahawks claimed you, bro. He was like, you're a Seattle Seahawk. Yeah, it was just my mind was kind of just going everywhere. I was just like, damn, like that's a rivalry with the with the Niners. I was just like, now I'm a Seahawk. And I was just like, it was kind of like, and then Snyder, the GM, called me and said the same thing, like, you're a Seahawk. And I was just like, he was like, are you happy? I was like, yeah, I'm just a little bit. I just told him, like, my head is just spinning a little bit because, you know, you guys are a rivalry to the Niners, and now I'm on you guys' team. It's kind of – it hasn't really clicked in my head yet. And then I was like, I'm excited, though. And then he asked, like, do you want to play this year? And I was like, yeah. I'm, I told him I'm going to get back to play this year. And he was like, okay. He was like, um, we see you, you know, contributing. Once you get healthy, he said, obviously, we're going to let you get healthy. And – um. He was like, we're going to make the playoffs and um, hopefully you'll be ready for the playoffs. And I was ready by like week seven. Yeah. Yeah. So. Man, that's incredible in itself. Like when in your, when you're in Lynch's office first, um, did it feel almost like you're back in that Fresno office a little bit? Like, did you get. Um, it didn't even feel like that. It was more so already kind of expected that to happen and it was just like this is a business you know so it was more so, so you you were kind of expecting it you kind of thought this would go down yeah 
I kind of expected it wasn't a surprise to me. And then I was just thinking like, you know, I handled it really professionally. I was like, I appreciate you for drafting me. Um, appreciate you for the opportunity. Um, I got you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Kept it pushing. And then in my mind, I was just like, you know, it is what it is. Once I got claimed by the Seahawks, my mindset changed to let's get this peg right. Like, let's aggressively rehab. So I called my doctor. He pulled up on me. We got to work right away. How did you hurt your peck? How did it happen? Bench pressing in the off season. Like just regular just bench pressing. So like with a bar or dumbbells? How do you with the bar. So yeah. I haven't bench pressed since. <laughs> I just I do dumbbell bench um bench press incline, but I, I haven't touched the bar since. Oh my god, what did it feel <laughs> like? Like how much were you doing? Like you probably had a spotter and stuff too. I hope you did, or else it yeah. probably fell right on you. Yeah, I had a oh yeah, it would have if I didn't have a spotter, but I had a spotter. It was my trainer, the kill. And yeah, like they had it on video because they have a camera in the weight room and it was bad, bro. It was just like I was benching. And then when I came up, it was just like a and then literally it was two pops like loud. It was like a like sound like a gun, like a and then I like I just screamed. I made like a screaming noise and I was like, damn, I knew I tore it. And then I looked at my trainer. He did a great job getting the weight up. I looked at my trainer. He was like, bro, I heard that pop. And, like, it was other guys around us. And then it was just bad. And I wasn't even mad about the pain. I was just more so mad, like, damn, I might have to miss the season. After I literally just put all this work in, because this is, like, right before training camp. So it was more so mentally just devastating. It's that sweet spot right before camp when you're kind of back home and usually guys, you know, you might, you might sneak in a vacation, right? You might go just chill for a bit and, and here you are bench pressing and it came back to bite you in the ass, but, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise, obviously. Blessing like, in disguise, you get bro. to Seattle. <laughs> who there just like really believed in you? Like, do, did you ever find out like who banged the table and said, you know, let's take a chance on this guy? Snyder, and that's why I have a lot of respect for Snyder. I mean, I really respect the Bills, Texans, and the Seahawks just for, like, showing interest. But, like, Snyder, like, that was, you know, he really betted on me because you don't know when someone's peck is going to heal. Like, that's literally a 6 to 12-month recovery. But um, he, he took that bet, so I respect him for it a lot. And they, they believed in, in that recovery and that – you know, maybe we should think outside of the box with how we view NFL cornerbacks too. And I mean, they're at the Sherman, like you said, Brown or all their corners were, were tall and long. And um, when you got on the field, finally, man, you, you, you had to be jacked up just to get out there and, and prove another team wrong. I and mean, what's going through your head when you finally were able to play? Yeah, bro. So the first game was against the Niners, which is ironic. And a lot happened that week. I remember, like, a lot happened. So I get to practice with the team for the first time, so I'm excited. I'm out there, like, I need to show them that I can play so they know, like, they know what they're getting. So, like, the first practice, um, I get an interception on one-on-ones. I won't say against who, but I got an interception one-on-ones. Um, so that was good. Um, team drills, getting PBUs, like, letting it be known, like, yeah, I'm here. Um, so they they were really excited. Um, and then I hurt my hamstring. Hurt my hamstring on Wednesday. Just, you know, getting back in football oh, yeah. shape and moving with guys that are running fast. 
I tweaked my hamstring a little bit and the trainer said, um, you have a strain in your hamstring, like you should sit out this week. And I was like, no, I'm not sitting out this week. I told him like, I'm not sitting out this week. And I was like, I'm gonna just tore a doll it up and play. Like this game, I've been waiting, I've been rehabbing literally for this game. Really? You knew so, it was San Fran and you wanted it? It was San Fran, yeah. I was like, I'm playing this game. And um, the same week on Friday, my Aunt Robin passed away. She died in a car accident. Yeah, so, you know, I could have easily just went back home to go, like, to miss the game and just go back home to see my family. Because, like, that was just a – that was just random. That that happened randomly. Like, it wasn't something anybody expected. It was just a, a car accident. But I thought about it, and I was just like, bro, a breakthrough has to be coming because all this bad stuff, all this crazy stuff is happening. Like, that's the devil trying to, you know, stop you from succeeding. I'm like, you could – go back home where you can make the excuse, like, I'm not going to play because my hamstring. I said, bro, I'm going to go out there and play. And that's what I did. And I got an, got my first career interception against my former team. Um, had, uh, I think, two QB hits. Um, had two pass breakups. Like, had a crazy game, bro. And that set the tone for the whole season for me. Man. So you're, that was your aunt, you said? Was my aunt Robin. Yeah. Brutal. I mean, it's yeah. so you've got so many different emotions going on right then. Yeah, and I just let it all out on the game day. Like, they probably like, what in the hell did he take? Like, it was just I had so much anger just from the rehab, so much built inside, and I just let it all out. Like, just let it all out. And really, like, when you came back, I'm trying to think, like, Jamal came back around the same time or maybe from his – Jamal season. came back the next game against the Bills. Yeah. Yeah. And really, like, that second half of the season, your defense with you right in there looks completely different. I mean, the, the first half versus the, the next half, it, it's like two totally different defenses. I mean, how did everything just work out for you finally, you know, with uh, a, a team and a defense that appreciates you? You're, you're playing on an island. You're doing your thing. Like, how how was this just a perfect fit at the perfect time? Yeah, I think the guy just respected how serious I was taking my rehab. Like, I, I remember vividly, like, Bobby Wagner used to come in and check on me. He seen me, like, reading books, like, when I was, like, on the game ready. And I could tell he really respected me the way I was approaching my rehab. Um, same as KJ Wright. Like, they seen how I first came in there barely able to lift my arm to now, like, doing push-ups like throwing dumbbells up, like they seen like the progress in the midst of three months. So it's I a think six they month really, injury, like you said. I mean, and you cut it to three. Yeah, three. I was on the field in three and a half months, but yeah, it's crazy. But um, I feel like the leaders on the team respected that, and once I got into practice, they seen what type of player I was. They seen how I was communicating. They seen how hungry I was, and you know the guys responded to that. They weren't obviously not gonna say they we weren't having a good season up until that point. So to, to see a guy come in hungry and willing to do anything to play, they gravitated towards me. And when we got on the field, man, we were just balling. Like when we played against the Niners, we balled. Like everybody was balling. And we were just communicating. We were moving. We are playing fast. And it was just fun out there, bro. We were celebrating. And that's like, that's the best time when you're just having fun out there with your guys. It's It's got to be surreal where – you know, the kid that Fresno saying isn't any good, that's 
you know, living on a grimy couch with eight other dudes is, is suddenly like turning an NFL defense around. Like, I mean, really, that, that's what it is. Like, it, and how grimy was it really? How bad was it? Are we talking pizza crust on the floor? Just Bro, brutal? I'll tell you a story. Uh, <laughs> you talking about Juco, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bro. I remember literally, this is a true story. You can ask my best friend, Elijah Walker. I remember we went to 7-Eleven to get a pizza. It was like $5.99 for like a large pizza at 7-Eleven. I literally remember <laughs> we put the pizza on the table and we went in the room. We came out the room like five minutes later and it was roaches all in the pizza. <laughs> and at that moment, me and Eli looked at each other like, man, there's no way, bro. And that was our dinner. We all, I didn't eat. I didn't eat it. He didn't eat it either. We we're just like, bro, like we gotta. We looked at each other like, bro, we gotta get out of here. Like, like we gotta get out of this situation, bro. We ain't got no choice. It's almost. It almost sounds like too gross to even be real. Like you walk away, you come back, and there's roaches. And there's roaches. Like yeah, we've been waiting to eat. <laughs> Was it like, I mean, we've all been to college where it's like, you could, you, you go down a couple side streets and you're going to find some pretty cheap housing. Like it was, it was just a pretty rough. But this situation was just really rigged. Like I didn't even want to take shower. Like the shower was nasty. Like everything was just nasty. And it's nine dudes, dudes aren't cleaned up after their mess. Yeah. And I can't tell them to, because I'm not paying anything to live there. And I was just frustrated, but it's like, bro, I can't control these grown men cleaning their their mess. So it was just like, you guys just put your head down. You're just here to sleep and get out of here, go to school, and literally, just, yeah, like how that was just enough was room. It. Like it's so that many guys. Like how to even there's do no anything. room. Yeah, I'm in a living room with five dudes. Um, there was a bedroom with bunk beds that dudes had that were paying rent. They had bunk beds. Uh-huh. Um, it was just congested. Like, <laughs> man, well, yeah, get it, get in and out and move on. It's, it's, inc- so, the, so in Seattle with, with your defense, I mean, from what we saw at the end of the year, I mean, how great can you guys really be now that you're, now that you're in there? I mean, you, you can kind of help change that energy. You did change that energy. Yeah. Well, it's not just me. I mean, our defensive line started, you know, emerging and started doing really well. Um, Pete was sending a lot of blitzes. Um, you know, acquiring Dunlap was really important. Um, we got him, I think, in like week nine. He, you know, he hit it off like right out the park. He had like six sacks in like eight games. And then, you know, Jamal started heating up as well. Getting He set the sack record for DBs ever. Um, so, and then even the interior started eating once Dunlap, you know, was acquired. Um, yeah, Reed. Uh, he started eating, uh, same as Puna. So a lot of guys, even LJ, a lot of guys started eating just from, you know, Dunlap being a force and opening up single, you know, for them to eat, sing, get, get in like single team instead of double team. So it all started clicking. And then we, the secondary started getting more confident. We didn't even play with each other. We had no experience playing with each other, but I'm blessed to be playing, you know, with two Pro Bowl safeties, two All-Pro safeties, in my opinion. Um just dogs. I got dogs behind me, so it makes it easier for me. Any uh, any cool nickname? I mean, it's hard to follow up the Legion of Boom, but you got to think of something here, right? Yeah, we don't we don't have any nicknames, but um, oh, the Legion yeah. of Boom they definitely set the tone. Like I always say that I used to watch them when I was young. Yeah. 
Um, just Richard Sherman, bro. He was just a freak of nature, just as far as just his catching ability um, and just to, to be able to strap up the top receivers and dominate while talking trash. And then you had, you know, Cam Chancellor coming down, setting the tone, same as Earl Thomas, setting the tone. Like, I, I know, like, offenses were scared to play them. And so you I can got do that too at your size. You can bring that effect. Oh, I know I can. I know I know I could strap, you know, number one receivers game in and game out um, just by the preparation that I have. You know, it's not just me. Like, I'm not the most physically gifted, but um, I watch tons of film. I take great care of my body. And um, I'm very confident once Sunday comes. How did this all just make you who you are then today, DJ? I mean, everything you've been through, everything we've been talking about here for 46 minutes, like how did it make you this cornerback who says he can take on anybody any week? Yeah, like what you just said, like literally what I've been through, like I don't take anything for granted. I don't take any game for granted. Every game to me is a Super Bowl, in my opinion. It's just because I'm displaying my talents to all 32 teams. Like it's not just me displaying my talents to the Seahawks. I'm letting everybody know like this dude can play. And, you know, I kind of had that mindset of like, when I tore my pec, I was just tunnel vision. Like I didn't care about anything going outside of me. Like I didn't care about external voices. It was all internal meditating, journaling, really like trying to become a better person. Cause it's not just football, but like I was doing like the little things, eating healthy, um, drinking tons of water, um, being sober, like literally just focusing in on my craft. And I feel like now I have that mindset, even though I'm healthy, which is really scary because I haven't, I haven't started a whole season. So this will be the first year that I start a whole season, which I'm looking forward to. And, um, you know, obviously the big goal is to stay healthy, but I have that mindset of, as of like I'm injured, even though I'm healthy, I have that mindset of I'm locked in. You know what I mean? That sense of desperation is a dangerous thing. I mean, you you, you want to maintain that. You you want that to be who you are. Yeah, it is who I am. I believe. Um, yeah. Like I know myself. I feel like a lot of guys don't know themselves. Um, when you get to a point where you know, when once you know who you are, that's dangerous. And I know who I am, and I I can't say that. Like when I got into the league, I, I could say that I didn't know who I was. Like I was going this way. I was going this way. I was trying to figure it out. Now I know who I am. I know what I stand for. So yeah, that's just how I feel. Sober, no alcohol, no alcohol, no marijuana, literally sober. No, I'm, I have a big sweet tooth. And even like I did, I ate no cookies, no sweets for six months for the whole season. And if you guys, my girl, my girl knows I have a bad sweet tooth. No cheesecake. I literally just ate healthy. I literally want to just maximize everything, like maximize this opportunity. And, um, you know, now in the off season, you know, we go a weekend, I'll drink some wine. Um, okay. I'll eat some cook. I'll eat some cookies, but it's the off season. But like once probably January, March, April, May, once like June, July comes, then I'm going to get really – it's always levels you can tap into. I'm going to get even more focused. I was going to say, at least a glass of wine in the off season. Yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm not a robot. I'm not a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a human. I mean, any, anything else before I lose you that, that you're into hobbies, just as a, as a dude that, that you want people to know that, that you like off the field? Um, I mean, I could rap. I mean, I was in the studio. I was in the studio. I have a song, but I'm just low-key, like, 
low-key nervous to drop it because it it hasn't been mixed like the way I want it to be mixed. It's still like a few little things I want to adjust to make sure it's like to my, you know, to my standard. So um, it's called, uh, <laughs> it's called Change Man, but it's, it's a good song. Um, it's pretty motivational. It's like a morning song. So like, I've been in the studio with um, my little brother for a little bit. Um, I love watching Netflix. Um, while I'm rewatching the originals right now, uh, yeah, just watching Netflix. That's what me and my girl pretty much do after we work out. Um, obviously, I, I train, do treatment, um, like going to the beach, um, like playing with my dog. I got a French bulldog named Simba. He's adorable. Nice. Um, like taking him for walks. Like I'm just pretty chill, bro. Um, you know, go go to like the hookah lounge here and then, um, just to get out. Yeah. Um, this is like normal stuff. So, uh, what kind of rap are we talking here? Who's your your inspiration, your influences? Yeah. Well, this song, this song was inspired by Jay Z. It's like a Jay Z flow. It's like motivational. It's not really like a. It's not really like mumble rapping, like you know, certain people. But it's more so like you listen to the lyrics. He's like, okay, he's saying something. So it's something I wrote. Took about you know, took probably about three days to like fully write it. So it was it was thought out. That's great, man. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, well, I guess it, it seems like your quarterback will be sticking around now. I mean, I don't know if you, do you pay attention to all that. That was pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy, I guess, still. as we Yeah, no, nah, it, it definitely is crazy. You know, I haven't personally talked to Russ, but I talked to a few guys, and they're just like, Russ was not going anywhere. But, you know, the NFL, you never know. But, you know, he's obviously a, our franchise quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I hope he stays. I hope that, you know, the front office of him get – you know, everything settled out and, you know, get back to a great relationship and yeah. um, just let the ego go, bro. Like let the egos go um, from both sides. Like let's just play football. But, you know, he has a, you know, a certain right to feel how he feels. You know, he feels like he's getting hit too much throughout his whole career and the numbers show that he has. Um, but, you know, he also makes his money off of holding the ball and extending plays, which, you know, that's where DNs get opportunities and D linemen get opportunities. So, you know, it goes both ways. But, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, everything gets, you know, settled. That's such a great point. I mean, it's like when you let him cook or whatever whatever you want to say, like it's, it's improvising, it's working all over the place, it's moving around, keeping a play alive. So that's going to be part of it. The yeah exactly hits uh, yeah it's going to be hits and it's also going to be touchdowns and first down so you know you take your poison but you know I feel like Russell's made a career off of that you know yeah. you know when you play the Seahawks like because I took I'm originally from the Niners when you play the Seahawks you it's a scramble session like if you if you cover the route you better make sure your eyes are on the receiver because he's going to turn it upfield because Russ is going to get out of the pocket and extend the play so you need to have that in your mind. And for the whole week, you practice like that. So, you know, he's one of the few quarterbacks that does that game in and game out. Exactly. Maybe cooler heads are kind of prevailing here. I don't know. Like, no news is good news. And like, do you, do you text him or do you try to reach out and like say, hey, it's not that bad here? Yeah, I haven't reached out to Russ. I actually, I don't have his number. Um, but Russ is a solid dude in the locker room, like. He was, he was one of the guys, too, that was, you know, asking me, like, are you okay? Like, how you doing with your rehab? Like, we're going to need you. Like, hearing that from your quarterback means a lot. So, he was – like, he's definitely a leader in our locker room. Perfect. Man, DJ, you're 
Amazing. I, I can't thank you enough for taking an hour of your time like this. I mean, uh, for Lucy, what's coming, man? What's what's gonna what are we gonna see in 2021 and beyond out of you? Oh man, for me it's lit. I mean, it's gonna be fun. Uh I get a full season. Like I, I I'm excited about that. I get a full season to, to show my talent. So just with that opportunity right there, I'm gonna make the most of it. You know, that's all I'll say. Uh, I'm not gonna promise to, you know, strap everybody, but I'm I'm looking forward to this season. It's gonna be probably the most exciting season of my life. It, it, that division is just loaded. I mean, <laughs> you got Stafford in there now. Uh, yeah, Arizona. They said AJ Green and JJ Watt on the other side, but it's it's going to be interesting, isn't it? It's going to be fun, bro. And I love football, so yeah. I'm looking forward to everything. Great. Well, hey, I, I can't thank you enough, DJ. Appreciate you taking all this time, man. Oh no problem, bro. I appreciate you talking. Yeah, that was great. Guys, if anything else comes to mind.